something like squirrels, dogs, and dead persons? Oh, shoot. From time to time, I've given it a thought of two. You know, if you go to joke workshop, there's more than two peoples paying attention to your jokes, and they ain't even gonna be jerks about it. Daryl, are you serious? I can get people to listen to my jokes? And they'll even say nice things, dude, before they tell you how to get improvements. No way. What is this dang nabbit thing called? It's Joke Workshop. Joke Workshop? Two o'clock. You're listening to MutinyRadio.fm, and it is time for another interview about I don't know God and stuff like that. On uh, some call me Tim. All right, I am joined today by Jennifer. That's your mic, the silver one. Jen- Jennifer Louise Garcia here. In the house, in the hizzy, on some call me Tim. I usually have you, you look deep into the eyes of Sparkle Jesus behind you. And the first question I ask is, do you believe in Jesus? He was a guy. He was a guy. Yeah. All right. Not son of God. Just a guy. I mean, the real question is, did he really rise on the, th- the third day? Right? Well, I mean, so you believe he was a guy. He, he existed. He's a guy who's A existed. source of inspiration for so many. And, right? and he was a real guy. Yeah. But you don't think that, like, he was imbued with magical powers from God and that uh, he did a bunch of miracles? Miracles? You believe in miracles? I, I do believe in miracles. All right. I'm not sure water into wine miracles, okay, but, okay. you know. Yeah. But I try to keep an open mind. All right. So... Jesus was a guy, not necessarily imbued with magical powers, but definitely was a good speaker. Wrote some things, said some cool stuff. I would agree with that. Yeah. All right. I'm not against him. Definitely okay, not. Cool. Yeah, Jesus is a cool guy. I have a cross tattoo on me. I used to believe really hard in Jesus. Like, N- for realsies. I, I hear that you're very knowledgeable. <laughs> I went to Christian school for, like, kindergarten through eighth grade. And then in high school, I was, a, like, a summer camp counselor and I was all about you know like Jesus and praying and singing songs to God and all that stuff so yeah I've, I've got a lot of biblical knowledge I was saved at one time in my early 20s all right this what they say is once saved always saved but Absolutely. that again is up for debate uh what uh, I, yeah, so I you fully were, intend on burning in hell it's so fine you, but you but you asked the Lord Jesus Christ to be in your heart and keep you safe from hell at one point yeah all when right. I was right me too. Um, twinsies. <laughs> um, I was married to someone who was raised in the church and extremely knowledgeable about theology. And um, he was very manipulative. So manipulative that I had to tell myself as I got a divorce that, sorry, Lord, I'm going to hell and yeah. I'm okay with it. And because there's tons of manipulation um, like spiritual abuse, I guess, to the point where I was an anti-theist for 10 years. Uh, let's give it spiritual abuse. Mm-hmm. So were you told that you aren't 
good enough because yeah, the, the you people that I loved, hard enough. Yeah, the people that I loved were going to burn in hell. Ooh. Because um, they hadn't accepted Jesus Christ, their Lord and Savior. Right. And just like most abusers, they try to isolate you to gain control. Oh. So it's kind of like don't walk into in the world, you know, kind of. There's parts of the Bible he could pick and choose from. How long were you married for? Four years, seven months. Wow. Two days. <laughs> you got it down, girl. <laughs> I was married too for a while. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, but, <laughs> special. But um, do, do you see any positive affects from that time that you spent deep in religion? No. I mean, not. I I feel like it was a part of my journey, mm-hmm. and it um, was important to see. How the other half lived, I guess. <laughs> yeah. You got to be deep in that. Were you like, uh, what was the particular sect of Christianity that you Oh, Calvary to? Chapel. So it was a fundamental oh, Christian. And it was a big church. Uh, it had started out small. Um, the pastor was a biker at one point, and it was a small little church when I joined. But right when I joined, like I would say three months later, they uh, had a huge change, and it was just a massive church all of a sudden. So, yeah. Because I've heard of Calvary, I think. Oh, yeah. They're everywhere. So it's like like the strip mall of (laughs) Jesus. It certainly looks like it from the outside, sure. But, I mean, um, it's like any church. You're going to find a lot of good. And, I mean, I don't really believe in good and bad people. I believe in the concept of good and evil. But I try not to say, oh, that person's good. That person's bad. But there are... I mean, criminal minds, you know, can be found at church. Absolutely. Every church. Yeah, well, I mean, I guess if you look at the cross-section of all people, that cross-section is still going to exist in whatever group that you subscribe to. And they might be reformed, you know, you don't know. But yeah, for 10 years following, I was divorced in 2007 and 10 Me years. Too. What? Yeah. July. Uh, June. Oh, yeah. No, uh, end of was actually I left them at the very end of May because our right actually right before our seventh year wedding anniversary was where when I jumped ship. Yeah. Yeah. He wasn't Christian, though. He was just um, a person, a person. (laughs) But we both were raised really religiously. So, yeah, it was hard to think of divorce because I was like, my parents are still married and his parents were married forever till his father died so like having those patterns in front of us and then not being able to sort of follow through on them I felt a large there was a large guilt there for a while and it wasn't that and people are like late later after they were like he was like you he accused me through other people of cheating on him I was like I never cheated on you I never did that wasn't my thing like I I disappear before I'm gonna do that you know because I don't want to feel that sort of guilty thing although there's a weird thing in the bible where it says if you've lusted in your heart then you've already done it which i feel like is a really fun way to let christians cheat because if you've already lusted in your heart and you've already committed the sin well you might as well do the act well you might as well you might as well because you already you already (laughs) sinned against god you're gonna ask for forgiveness anyway so you might as well just do the whole deed Right. Why just lust in your heart? Why not just really lust? Well, it's really interesting. It's like someone was tol- telling me about Carl Jung, Jung's uh, philosophy of the shadow self. And um, because I haven't read much of him, I 
I don't want to muck it up, but what I will say is what I took from the com- from this really great conversation is that a lot of people were raised with these values and when when in our adult life, whether under the influence or not, we make decisions we would call mistakes. Um, under the influence of what? Anything. Drugs. Oh, okay. I was going to say Jesus. Alcohol. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Drugs, alcohol, or Jesus. Jesus. Uh, you know, um, no, not Jesus, but really those decisions you make that you regret in the morning. Right. Oh, I hooked up with so-and-so. I regret that. I was drunk. Or, hey, um, you know, I... I'm shouting out my abortion, not like whatever. (laughs) Yeah, I said a not joke, okay. (laughs) What I will say is like, what if people just entertain the idea that some of these decisions you might just forgive yourself and actually would have made, and it's not necessarily a bad thing. It's kind of like having like a whole, like a more rounded approach to who you are instead of trying so hard to maintain like you're a wholly good person. Right, right. Um, just give yourself that space to explore uh, other decisions that aren't um, as conventional and approved through our society. Well, and back to abortion. Like, every abortion I've had, I consider a good thing. <laughs> if I had, so if I had a 20, let's see. I had an abortion in 1995, so uh, I would have a 24-year-old child right now. Mm -hmm. If I would have had that baby, I would have a 24-year-old. Okay, no, that's a problem. And there was, I would, if I hadn't, if I hadn't had my second abortion, I would have a a six-year-old right now. And I don't think that would be good either. I don't think that I would have, I don't think that I've been in a place to be an effective and non-evil mom. I don't so. think anyone is. No. <laughs> you but know. Like when, people, when people who are from a really religious background say, oh, you've had an abortion. You're, that's evil. You're a sinner. It's like, not really. Because in, from my perspective, if I would have gone through with those pregnancies, that would have been more of an evil act. Right. And, 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 and that's your total uh, right to decide that. And, but it's a process probably, very internal, right? Yeah, yeah. And, and so back in those days, not everyone was shouting out their abortions, which I actually think is really great and empowering and important, you know? Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I think there's this idea that people have to make good decisions all the time and just disavow any decision that might seem bad. Or different mm-hmm. and um, you know it's worth considering that there's a part of yourself like the shadow self or whatever I could be getting this all wrong but in the context of this conversation that I had had um, it, it was okay to entertain ideas um, and decisions that um, are a part of you that might not be the best like I'm an asshole sometimes yeah, you I, know I'm what I mean sometimes, yeah. so yeah like I, people don't I realize it, but I realized that I stopped drinking for a good amount of time and it was so strange because I expected to have all of these sort of different choices and feelings in front of me and like I I didn't I'm the same person and I still do and say stupid embarrassing (laughs) things just now I remember it like I remember (laughs) all of it so I'm having to take more responsibility for my choices as opposed to what I was doing in the past which was like well, if I don't remember it, it didn't really happen, did it? Right. Because I don't remember. 
So I wouldn't necessarily feel guilt or shame over choices because I didn't remember them anyway. Yeah. And then I'd sort of write it off like, oh, whatever. It doesn't, it doesn't matter. I was drunk. But I learned in my sobriety that even when I, those choices have affected me in other ways because other people are seeing those choices and they remember them. Right. <laughs> and so I mean, that's certainly like part of identity is like how other people see us. Yes. But I also think it's super important to forgive yourself and really not give a shit. Sometimes. Right. Yeah. Most times. And alcohol makes me not give a shit. But now I'm, I'm really trying to, to back off the booze because having a little sobriety, like, I realized, wow, I feel so much better. Like, yeah. Like my whole body is happy. That's great. Yeah. But I, and I miss it. I drank a little bit this week because I allowed myself to. And honestly, it wasn't as fun as I remember it. Aww. So I don't know. I don't know. You're I don't doing, know. It wrong. No. I'm doing it wrong. No. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm doing it wrong. I'm a negative influence. No, no, no. I'm no. <laughs> we'll, we'll see. It's just that. I, I mean, I'll see when I decide, if I decide to really, to, to go for it. But it'll have to be on a night where there's no comedy and I'm just drinking to drink and not. But then I'm like, well, why do I want to do that? Why do I need to feel that feeling of like, I'm disappearing? Like, w like what's behind that? Right. So. Well, I mean, it's also important to like discover yourself, right? Mm -hmm. And so I think um, I was seven years sober. Wow. Um, no sex, no dating, sober. Wow. Yeah. I was thinking about going celibate right now, actually. So I was thinking about doing um, that for a while, just because. <laughs> oh my God. I know. No, well, I just, it's a thing where like a cleanse I, yeah I don't <laughs> exactly it's like a cleanse and I don't feel like I I don't want to feel the need of feeling like I have to be with someone else in order to be complete absolutely As oh my goodness yeah I, I agree with that so wholeheartedly because I think that um, especially I'm still trying to find my way on that because I just feel like I can genuinely love people better outside of relationships I and it's more too. important to me i think the hardest thing for me to um especially around valentine's day this year uh come to terms with is wow i love all these people and one day they're gonna like meet someone and then do this whole traditional bye off into the sunset right where they're not really happy no <laughs> 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 you know um but you know it's it's not every uh relationship that involves sex is are the important ones sure. in fact it's quite the opposite for me so that was that those seven years were super important because I was able to look back at them and I was really able to have like an anchoring point in my life yeah, yeah. Oof. well and it's good I mean it's one of those things too where when you're in a relationship and especially as a woman people always bring up the Bechtel test like can you so when I when I was married or when I I was I, I've, I've been in a re another relationship for seven years and we're we're working and we're seeing what's going on right now. But we're working it out or I don't know what we're doing. Good. Doesn't matter. But uh, it does. But it doesn't. But whenever anybody comes up to me, it's usually like the second sentence out of their mouth. How's your boyfriend? Or it used to be how's your husband? Like so it isn't about so like every relationship that I've had, I've sort of been identified through that relationship like that's a it becomes a huge part of 
my identity is that relationship and other people view me as that relationship rather than as myself. And it can be so powerful and overwhelming. And what I feel is like at first, um, you know, let's say you're having a huge period of um, being a singleton and you are a free spirit and that's why people fall for you but then they really can't help but put you into a box just by nature of relationships in general yeah. i'm like isn't this why you like me in the first place right 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 <laughs> that happened you with really my ex-husband yeah. i was a very free spirit and we were together for a long time and then he started like hating all the things i did like he'd be like why do you go out and sing karaoke all the time? And I was like, because I need stage time. Like, I need I just to need be the center of attention. Hello. The yeah. mic in my hand. Yes. Yeah. Get your fix. Exactly. And that was before I did comedy. So my ex-husband would not have liked me doing comedy at all. He would have, if he didn't like me singing karaoke, he certainly wasn't going to like the comedy. So I kind of got out of that at the point where. Actually, when I started imagining him dying, like I was <laughs> having fantasies about him dying Aww. like going off of and I was like oh this would make my life so much easier if he just wasn't around anymore and then when I started having those thoughts I was like I need to leave this guy and it's I time to <laughs> like and it just needed to happen and he looks back and now he's married again and has two beautiful children and I was never gonna have kids for him and it he says that me leaving him was the best thing that ever happened for both of us and I a hundred percent believe that and at the time it probably didn't feel no, like that at, at all at the time it was really hard for both of us and yeah. it was hard for me because I I left um, a lot of money I left a house that we owned and I left a lot he was a wealthy man and I, I was like you know what and that was the thing that made me stay in the relationship probably the extra year as I was like I can't live without him I can't afford to live without him and then I was like once you imagine your partner dying it's time to get out of the relationship it might be overdue yeah yeah I mean uh, that's the thing about being comfortable I have these theories about being comfortable on occasion I imagine or if I like to think that one day I'll be able to fantasize about having my own home and owning a couple of cats yeah cats. um yay cats um but I really believe like the greatest growth you can give yourself is when you're in the midst of change oh when you embrace that chaos and you can breathe through it and then welcome it um I'm balls deep in the abyss. It feels fine. Yeah. Well, there's, um, it's, uh, I used to read a lot of tarot cards and there are some, whenever the devil comes up or whenever death comes up or whenever the tower comes up, they seem very scary because the tower's like, everything's falling apart and you're falling off this tower and everything's breaking. But that means that change, change. Yeah. And the same thing with death. Death doesn't mean death. It means death of something and change and growth. Yeah. And a birth. And so it isn't necessarily terrible. I think the worst card in the tarot deck is the hanged man when he's upside down because you're in a place of powerlessness hmm. where you're not feeling like you have options to change because you're in, you're in this hanging position where you're sort of stuck and not able to in get down. Rut. Make, yeah, in a rut. Exactly. What about uh, Nine of Swords? I remember that one being kind of rough. Well... Although nine, because um, nine is the, is almost the end of a journey. So ten would be the completion of a large journey, whereas nine is like almost there. But then swords are also um, 
like an air a fire sign so it's about like and what do, i'm trying to remember tell me what, what do you think about nine of swords i remember that i owned um a tarot car, uh, some tarot cards i did some reading for party favor like part like a party favor yeah, yeah. but um to be honest i kind of got good at it and occasionally i'd kind of spook myself Ooh. Ooh. but i'm not terribly um suspicious but i just know that the artistry on the tarot cards were beautiful yeah and when the nine of swords came up it was always seemingly something um scarier negative and the visual were just these nine swords sticking into a dead body Ooh. <laughs> really well that's about yeah. i think that it's about self-sacrifice to get to the end of your journey because 10 is means that you've brought something to fruition and especially if it's from a place of passion which are swords uh, because it represents fire fear and anxiety mm. I, so yeah you have a lot of fear and anxiety um no good i used to and i try not to make decisions out of fear oh that's prophetic not making decisions out of fear i gotta kind of put that in my brain well <clears throat> i went through a lot so i i do have post-traumatic stress oh uh, disorder actually it's cpd <laughs> cptsd which is complex post-traumatic stress um if you would have met me before i did comedy i would um have been riddled with a lot of the symptoms hmm. and I would have had tremendous social anxiety um, working was a huge coping mechanism for me and so I just was doing the Bay Area uh, two jobs and just coming home and that was it yeah just work 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 because yeah. you throw yourself into something and then you don't necessarily have to think about yourself if you're focusing on like external right projects like a job jobs but um, comedy has really helped me recover my life and minimize my uh, symptoms without, um, and I've, I've done some therapy and a lot of research and, uh, about the origin of where I've gotten the PTSD and stuff. Um, but it was really when I decided that I was gonna chase my happiness, uh, you know, and it was really a desperate, depressive time when I started comedy. Um, but then it became like this beautiful, beautiful thing that was just every time I get on the mic, I felt like that was like a, a visual cue for me for my life being reclaimed. All right. And you have a you have a thing coming up. You have comedy church that you're running. What's going on? Oh, it is true. Um, well, turns out you don't have to register with the state to start a church. Whoa. So I've started a church. It's called Vicarious Traumas um, Church of Comedy. Vicarious Traumas Church of Comedy. Yes. Can people find you online? Um, the online presence is going to kick off April Fools. Fantastic. And it's not an April Fools, it's real. That's what they, yeah. <laughs> it's really, a, it's like a faith thing. Sure. <laughs> it's like whatever you believe. <laughs> so are you gonna have speakers that are gonna be comedians? Oh, ab I, I mean, I hope so, um, absolutely. I have a number of people that are interested in contributing to content and I wanna hear people's stories because when I talk to them privately, comedy has changed a lot of people's lives yeah. for the better and yeah. really help them and, um, you know, there's like a redemption that happens when you have a good set and that feeling of identity when 
people are surrounding you laughing, but in a good way. Sure. I mean, that's really rewarding. They're not laughing at me. They're laughing with me because, and because I've, I've somehow cultivated that impetus. It's not that like they're laughing at me because I'm stupid or did something weird. It's me asking for the attention and then them reciprocating. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's important. Well, when I started comedy, I, I How many years ago did you start? <laughs> I started uh, last summer. Oh, okay. So, so I'm, not even a I'm year. on my eighth month, I think. All right. But I was doing 26 open mics a month and traveling three to four towns a week. Wow, okay. So whereas, um, uh, and I actually started in Reno like oh. seven years, seven or eight years ago. Wow. But just a couple, a couple times. Did you know John Gallagher from back there in the day? Sounds very familiar. John Gallagher lives here now. No way. Yeah, but he came from he came from Reno. He's a great comic. He um, used to run the Tuesday night at OMG. I don't think he does anymore, but he's around Mutiny Radio quite a bit. He's a great comic. He's really, really funny. And he's from, uh, Reno? He's from Reno. Yeah. Years and years ago, so you might have known him from that scene. Well, I'm sure I've seen him. So a lot has changed. There is, when I, when, when I was doing comedy, it was a place called The Waterfall. Mm. And now it's called The Library. Um, which is just a funny name for a bar. Yeah. I go to the library. I like the when they call a bar the office so that <laughs> um, so that men or anybody can say, oh, I'm late at the, I'm staying late at the office. And it's so true. And it sound, it's so true. And it sounds, yeah. yeah, staying late at the office. So I, I had started a long time ago. However, um, I went through um, a domestic violence situation. Mm. I was actually a... Uh, criminal justice major and before I had entered into this relationship so shortly after my seven years of being single I had just met the wrong one and I was completely naive so um, after seven years of celibacy you found this person you threw yourself into a marriage (laughs) well he was losing his spot and I said well I have a four-bedroom two-bath come stay with me And then when it wasn't working out, I was like, you know what? We can still date, but this isn't really working out. And that's when the kind of things took a turn for the horrific. And I will say horrific. So um, I know. But the great thing is is I survived. You were still providing him a place to live? Oh, no. I just left my apartment, like surrendered the apartment, left my apartment, drove to California. Wow. Yeah. It was very serious. Wow. Yeah. So... I had broken bones over it. Whoa. Yeah. Whoa. Wow. That's, and so you just said, I'm out of here. Um, yeah. Uh, but it was so much harder did you, than did that. Did you press charges? Yes. Good. But here's the thing. Oof. It is, it was so much harder than I thought to leave. And part of that was because what people can't really, well, a lot of people don't understand that when people commit um, violence against you, especially repeatedly and viciously, um, that the victim's brain re- rewires to a primal state, mm. and where it's fight, fight, freeze, or fawn, which are the survival mechanisms. Yeah. And so, um, y- your mind is working against you. It's it was very. Um, what is that called? Munchausen. Um, Stock- Stockholm, Stockholm syndrome. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 Munch, uh, Munchausen. By proxy is when you poison the other person because you are you oh, like to yeah. take care of them. Yeah, that's different. But um, so you know, I've 
and and there's definite truth and uh, wisdom in like the cycle of violence and everything and you have to check your own codependency and your ideas on relationships and things like that but truly this guy was like a suspected murderer like this wow. guy was next level so charming but charming but so you you jumped ship oh Good. yeah and it was a, the best decision i'd ever made but um you know usually when i jump ship for anything it's like a great decision yeah yeah <laughs> um but it was completely unplanned and um i went through i had to like kind of put my brain back together and sure. it definitely took some time the verdict's still out if it happened but I, i'm very pleased with the results <laughs> yeah so that makes sense especially extricating yourself from a relationship and then trying to figure out am i myself without this relationship what did it well. there's an intimacy that occurs during violence mm -hmm. you know and abuse and and it's funny like y you learn things like childhood trauma actually manifests itself in your adult relationships yeah. things like that but it also um it's it was just really it took a lot of hard work and i'm just really thankful that i've always been really self-analytical so it really helped helped with my recovery yeah so i'm not into douchebags nothing like that oh i like, love guys who've been to jail i have like a total fetish for guys who've been to jail it's weird all right yeah i know <laughs> all right i like bad boys oh i know Hooligans. i know on occasion yeah. on occasion i might dabble yeah but um yeah very consciously aware yeah i'm terrible the, the people i'm attracted to are like Drug addicts, alcoholics, people who have been to jail, people with like severe baggage. Well, like I like that because it somehow gives me the opportunity to be the savior, perhaps. Right. And to like, you know, help them somehow it, become better. I also like younger men because then I feel like, I feel like if guys are older than me, that they're going to try to teach me something. And I'm like, nah. And I also don't like, I also don't like the dynamic of equality. I like to be the person in charge. I really, I was raised by my grandparents, and so I usually take like a submissive role. Mm -hmm. But like, I really enjoy, you know, equality. I'm totally for it. And um, in fact, when I don't know if I should tell this story, but I'm going to anyway. <laughs> so um, when I came out of that relationship, it was so bad that I was, in, I had a horrible job. And I was enforcing contracts from the 90s for a security company. Mm. And I'd call people up and I'd say, remember that contract that you signed a decade or so ago? Well, guess what? Um, it auto-renewed and you owe us five grand. I'm so sorry. Wow, yeah. <laughs> and so one day I got on the phone with someone and, and I'm a really great person breaking bad news to good people all day. <laughs> um, but one person got on the phone and said, you, this and that. He was using. Oh, you can swear. Oh, okay. You fucking bitch. Like, I'm going to fucking come to your office and this and that. You work for a piece of shit company. And he was just raging. Yeah. And I looked around. And this was two weeks after I got out of that relationship. I looked around and I was like, holy shit, I'm hot as fuck right now. Like, should I get this guy's number? Wow. And then I was. Wow, you were positively triggered by a person who was verbally abusing you. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. What a perspective. That's amazing that you were able in that moment to take a step back yeah. and take a step forward and analyze that situation. I wouldn't, I wouldn't have 
the wherewithal to do that, I'd be like, because you'd be like, let's, let's, let's yeah, date what's your this number, guy? buddy? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. No, but I was like, you know what? This is not my kink. This is not, this is not me. And I think the next week or two, I went to, um, I was looking at um, the Berkeley University paper because I was like, clear, you know what? I, I lived in Berkeley when I was 18 for about a year, and I was like, you know what, I'm sure they're going to offer some really unique insights in the um, BDSM, those kinds of things, right? Because sure. I'm trying to figure out what the fuck just happened, right? right. <laughs> and no, I didn't call him. <laughs> no, good, good for um, you. But, but you felt that seed and that yeah. triggered something in you to say, wow, that is hot. No, right. <laughs> well, no, that turned me on in some way. And yeah. then to think, like, that's well, not okay. why does that? Why? Why? And, yeah. and there's an empowerment with BDSM and, and there's things that are going on and I can't I'm not in a place of judgment at all um, it's it's really about consent Absolutely. you know what I mean yeah and safe words right and so um, I think that actually BDSM is the one of the safest ways that you can have sex because everything is if you're doing it right everything is laid out ahead of time you know exactly what's gonna happen there are no surprises and if there is a surprise, you have your safe word and you hmm. just say it and the person respects you and it's that easy. I feel like because it's so consent based and they're hardcore on consent that it feels, it can feel even safer. Right. And I, I, I think there's, I mean, that's such an important topic to talk about too is consent. You know, yeah. I definitely like to make jokes about it to try to open up discourse. Well, I've learned a lot about consent because I didn't realize that, um, I've had some potentially sexually predatorific behaviors, just made that word up. But <laughs> I, I didn't realize for years, because I, because in the 90s, when like at the beginning of the height of my sexuality, I'm, I'm quite older than you, but when I was in college in the early 90s and even in the late 80s in high school, uh, the, the way women were treated was so, there, <laughs> Going to a hip hop club in the '90s was basically sexual abuse. Like you were gonna, right? People were gonna come up behind you and they were gonna stick their hard dick up against you, and they weren't gonna make eye contact, and they weren't gonna ask you if it was okay to dance with you. They were just gonna start rubbing up on you all night, and you, all night, and you know, every night. But but that was the thing is that in going to the hip hop club in L.A. and Koreatown in the '90s, you knew that that's what you were signing up for. It was almost like consent before consent. Like everybody knew that in going to this place that these kinds of things are the things that are going to happen. You're not a asking to get raped in the bathroom, but people are definitely sure. going to come up and do some things that you didn't give them permission for. The climate was different. The climate was different. And so when I decided to sort of rail against that in the late 90s and early 1000s and even into the late... I mean, I've been in... I've touched people... I've touched people inappropriately without their consent. I used to play a game called Grab Ass with <laughs> people at bars where... I would grab a guy's ass and I'd point at my friend and be like, hey, it wasn't me, it was her. And then she'd do the same thing and be like, look at her over there, it's not me. And now I look back and I'm like, I was just sexually assaulting men in bars. <laughs> but right. I didn't know that at the time. Right, yeah, it's because true. Of the, because of the climate that I grew up in, I was like, well, feminism now, we can do this. This has been happening to me for years and now with feminism, it's my turn to start doing it back. And now I'm like, oh, that was n probably not, that was a little predatory. Yeah. But now I've ha yeah. now I've learned to ask for consent from people before because I'm a, I'm a, I can be a real touchy feely flirty person, and I, I definitely am like I'm a hugger you know and I just I forget I forget myself but you know I don't really cater I, I don't really cater who I am 
to other people, but when it comes to touching their bodies, it's worth a thought, right? It's worth a thought. Fair enough. Yeah. Um, but it, it definitely made me investigate BDSM. I had never really uh, explored that, actually, still to this day. So, um, but I've read about it and talked to people about it, those kinds of things. Yeah. I've had friends that are, you know, in it. Um, and for me, it was really about how do I not have this kink? How do I not get turned on? when I meet someone that's probably dangerous and violent. You know what I mean? Because when you're in an abusive relationship, a lot of women don't understand these psychological concepts, so they'll be um, dolphining in and out of relationships um, and experiencing the same things. Sure. And I didn't want to do that. So I had to take a break uh, a couple years off, and it worked. Not into that shit. Yeah, the the dynamic that I fight is that I... um, I try to take care of people and mother them and then I get sort of angry if my care and attention isn't reciprocated but when I go into these things I kind of know that I'm because I want to be the person in charge so it's like I'm the caretaker I'm the provider I'm the giver and then I get mad when that isn't mirrored except that I'm like perpetuating these relationships where I'm the one that's like in this mothering role probably because I'm never going to have kids but I feel like as far as identity identity is so much more than just a relationship I've Mm. experienced so much more freedom and have learned you know so much about my capabilities uh, outside of relationships so I mean that I mean do you have a safe word what's your safe word I don't mine's cinnamon is it really yeah because it's a weird thing to say and it's not anything that would ever be in the bedroom should everyone have a safe word? You know, I think it's a good idea if you're in a sexual relationship with someone, absolutely. Yeah. Just because, I mean, I always tell people my safe word, just in case, because if something hurts or I don't like it, I'm going to say cinnamon. <laughs> because, because, <laughs> because no or yes doesn't, it, sometimes it, in the context, it doesn't have as much meaning as this word that you decide at the beginning this is the word, and if anything goes awry, stop. So right. Well, I think it's good just for, I mean, I don't know. I usually just say something. If it's that, if it's like that, you know, um, I'll just be like, hey, wrong hole, fool, something. Right, 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 right. <laughs> I'm like, cinnamon, cinnamon. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Safe words are fun. Yeah. Because, you know, safety. But I really, you know, um, a friend and, and I were talking about what it meant, like, to have kind of that attraction, unhealthy attraction, and what it took for me to kind of get out of it, which I still like bad guys, like sure, like I do, you know, but I I can't give it any serious thought or time. But what I will say is, um, I feel like there's definitely something psychologically important going on during this type of kink that should be evaluated by the individuals participating in it Um, because I think getting to know yourself and your history and where you're going is important you know I'm just so vanilla I'm like I want (laughs) to try something new (laughs) but because I I, I don't know in my it's it's hard getting old sucks how how old are you I'm 42 oh wow I I thought you were a lot younger than me so kind thank you so much you have no wrinkles 
That's what they say, but I trust, I tr I trust they're there. No. Well, also, I'm, I'm having macular degeneration, so I can't see a goddamn thing. Oh, <laughs> yeah, that explains once, so much. Yeah, I, I'm beer goggling <laughs> myself all the time, and I like it. I'm like, oh, is that what I look like? Sure. I can't, I can't even pluck my eyebrows anymore because I have to wear, like, my, my bifocal, my reading glasses. Oh, yeah. And so I've got to, like, pull them up and pull them down and try to get hairs off my face. I just can't even. Magnifying mirror. That's what you need. Magnifying mirror. Yep, that yeah, way. That way it'll all work out. I've got the... You got this. I'm an old crone now. You're I looking I hate right. the word crone. I hate it, but it's that's the term they give us when you go through menopause and you don't have any worth in our society anymore. Oh, that's absolute bullshit. I know, but still. Yeah. It's hard. It's hard to get old. And with all the sex stuff, you'd think it would get easier as you get older. And it seems to get harder. And I'm just so much more self-conscious. I feel like, ugh, I just can't, I don't know. I don't, I used to not, I haven't shaved for years and years and years. And I just kind of started again. And I'm like, God, do I, am I really doing this? Like, what am I doing? You're having fun with your body hair. Yeah, it's not fun. I, I wish I, I wish that we could all just. Sometimes I'll just protest myself. shaving my legs and stuff. And that's always when I meet someone. Yeah, of course. <laughs> I'm like, yeah. I haven't shaved for you. Here you go. Yeah. Check here. it out. Look, I'm not, I'm not into like quaffing my body hair. And they're into it. Like, uh. If you find the right person, hell yeah. 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 It'll be okay. Yeah, I mean, everything will be okay. No, I'm seriously thinking about doing doing a good long bout of celibacy to just sort of like clean out the cobwebs and figure out <laughs> like what I'm like. But then I worry because I'm like I'm getting so old. Soon no one's going to want to have sex with me because I'm so old. That's not true. Well, the guys I want to have sex with aren't going to want to have sex with me oh. because I'm too old. <laughs> well, things change. Things change. You, you don't know what'll be in style. That's true. You know what I mean? Milfs seem to be a thing, although I'm not a mom, but I guess I could play one on TV. Do That's the thing I wonder about all this stepmom porn. Are they real stepmoms, or are they just really good actors? I don't know, but it really does. I know you're laughing, but I'm like, you know, that really doesn't, that really does circle back around to abuse and how it plays into sex. Does it? I Step think so. Stepmom stuff? Oh, I think so. I don't know. I mean, in part, I just wonder... I, I'm not a hundred percent, but what I will say is, um, I wonder if there are isn't a niche that is just like ah, uh, uh, brother sister stuff or incest. Stuff. Oh, that exi That's like that's all over the place right now. Right. It's. I, I mean, I don't watch porn. I just hear about it from all the jokes of all the guys who watch copious porn. I. I just. I've never. I think maybe from my religious upbringing, it's something that I was never really exposed to. And then when I was married, m my husband was black and he had a small penis and he didn't want me to know. And he was like the first guy I had sex with. So I didn't <laughs> know. And so I wasn't, a, we didn't watch porn or have dildos because I found out later when I left him that his big black dick was not so big. But oh, wow. I didn't know. I just, everyone would always say like, oh, he's black. He's got a huge dick. I was like, yeah, it's huge. But I didn't Aww, know because so I just didn't wonderful. experience anything else. It was he great. I bet you he still holds a candle for you for that. Yeah, probably. You know what I mean? I was That's like, it's huge. It's great. Well, so I'm very, I'm very, I have very shallow vagina, so it was, it worked out. Yeah. Don't know why I just divulged that on air. Uh, but. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, that's um, micro penises. It's okay. It wasn't I'm a micro penis. It just was, I just, <laughs> when I, when I moved to San Francisco and I slept, I slept with my first white guy, I was like. Oh my God, your dick's enormous. And he's like, six inches is pretty standard, really. And I was like, oh, oh, 
Yeah. But it's just because I never watched porn. But a I think that the people that watch, I think that all the kids that have been watching porn since they were 12 because of their iPhones, I do think that that perpetuates violence and sex. And I, I because when you watch enough, like, it's like, and then I hear guys go, yeah, I beat up that pussy last night. It's like, <laughs> can you, do you have to say it like that? Like, can you say, like, I hang out with a lot of guy comedians. You're like, I victimized that pussy yeah, last night. I, you know? That's fun. See, now you should do a joke about that. <laughs> I victimized that pussy last night. Right. I, I got her to, yeah. I mean, but I think that that's perpetuated through, through these visual images that people don't necessarily have context for, or they don't necessarily see it as fantasy. And they see it as, you do what feels good or whatever. And then you move on. Right. And that's okay. I don't, I definitely don't like shaming when I just think there's a psychology to it. And life is a series of abuses and traumas as far as I'm concerned. So uh, for me, they're all kind of related uh, as far as like abuse, how it plays out in the future, you know, childhood abuse to adult mm -hmm. relationship abuse sure. to, you know, um, the rough sex thing was never anything that I had um, partaken in, but um, coming out of, because the the love making was was not nonviolent. Sure. So coming out of this really terrible physically violent relationship, um, it was really weird for me to understand that a lot of women like to be choked. Oh. So my mind was just kind of blown day in and day out as I was sure. just like, sure. why? I don't get it. Is it Fifty Shades of Grey? What's happening? And because I was in a bubble. Right. And so uh, in a really isolated relationship. So um, those are things. And since then, I've had a really healthy year-long relationship. I'm not in a relationship now. But, you know, I still talk to my ex and have a good rapport with that person. And yeah. there was no incidences, you know. Nice. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it, I had to take a couple years off and definitely do self self-care or whatever they call it. Yeah, the choking thing. Um, I used to like to be spanked a little bit, but it was only because at that time when I'd left my husband in my early 30s, I was 32 when I left my husband and I moved to San Francisco and I became the whore of Sodom and Gomorrah. I was drinking. It was before comedy. I was a poet. So I was using alcohol a lot to be creative because I was sort of taught that, you know, Bukowski... Yay! He's a super drunk, and I loved yeah. his poetry. And I was like, oh, and the honesty that comes out of that. And the, and so I was doing this sort of poet thing where, like, I'm a drunk, and that's what I do, and I'm <laughs> unapologetic about it. And I, like, fuck guys in bar, in bar bathrooms. And I, right. like, yep. and, and I was drunk all the time. So yeah. I don't know how much of when I was having sex with these guys, I don't know how much was me asking them to be violent or if them – perpetuating violence with me and me not caring because I was so drunk and I wanted whatever they were providing even if I didn't necessarily remember it later like it was I mean I had nights where I'd wake up and be like and I'd sort of like do some kegels and be like did we have sex last night did we like that kind of stuff because I didn't really remember but I think that in the moment I was into whatever they were into and they seemed to be into spanking and choking so then it kind of became like, oh, out of my marriage where it was just me and him for 13, well, we were together for five and then married for seven. So for 13 years, this was the person I had sex with and this is what it was like. And then all of a sudden I'm out in this world and I was like, what? It's like this? 
And so I didn't really have, and because I hadn't watched any porn and I hadn't, didn't really have a lot of sexual experience, like it was also new to me that I just sort of thought, well, this is the way it is. But it was more like, this is San Francisco sex, drunk <laughs> sex in 2008. You know, like where right. this is what the, the sort of the community is doing is spanking yeah. and choking. So it was like, oh, okay, I guess I'm into this. Right. And now I realize like, I'm not into that at all. Like, not even a little. Like, I don't like to be spanked. I don't like it. I don't get anything out of it. I don't know why I submitted to it for so long. I don't. I had a guy once. I um, I said something to him, and then he he smacked me in the back of the head. And why? I, yeah, because I guess we were doing it doggy style. And he smacked me in the back of the head really hard, and it kind of, like, rung my bell a little bit. And I, like, disengaged. And I'm like, get the fuck out of my house. And he's like, I thought that's what you wanted. I'm like, no, I never want you to hit me in the head. Right. Like, who does that? I was so pissed. It's like, get the fuck out. I don't, I don't and he know. he got all mad at me. He's like, why would you? Blah, blah, blah. I'm like, what? Yeah, it's, it gets, it's, it gets interesting out there. And I'm all for interesting, you know? You got to find out where, you know, everyone's in their own processes discovering what they're into i know that what i'm into and what i'm not so i'm i'm happy just kind of looking like who did start that though like who started the choking thing was it like Nicki minaj well I don't you know <laughs> i i kind I don't of know. understand it from the from the auspices of uh autoerotic asphyxiation and that if you decrease your airflow you can come harder so oh that if, is true yeah so if there's a choking thing it's should be like right before you're gonna come so that it's more intense but you know i'd rather just do a whip it like if i want to if i want to decrease my airflow there's a lot of ways i can do that without feeling victimized and less unless it's totally consent based and we start it out and be like all right i mean bottom line if it's consent based it's consent based right that's right. what i read in in the um university paper in berkeley and that's why i was like oh Oh, and I had to wrap my mind around that for quite some time. Right. There's guys that like women to put on high heels and step on their nutsack. My friend has done that, yes. And that I was they're shocked. into it. She is so, she's so, <laughs> she's such a lovely human being. And I'm like, oh, really? Like, I'm shocked that you stepped on men's testicles. Yeah. And she's like, that's what they wanted. That's what they wanted. <laughs> there was, um, I saw, there was a guy, he did a documentary and he was really sick, but he was, he was like sick dying, but he was also into this SM role play kind of thing. And he actually took a nail and pounded it through his scrotum. Oh. Yeah, on the fucking, on the do documentary. And I was like, whoa. But I, I mean, people derive sexual pleasure from all kinds of things. Yeah. And it's not, I don't want to be judgmental. And be We're like, just animals. We're just animals. Trying to get through this life together. Yes, without getting coronavirus. And without getting our balls permanently right. damaged, though. Sure. I mean, <laughs> damage my ovaries. Get, get these things out of here. Let this menopause here. end. Um, what, tell us more about the, the, the new comedy church. What's, where's, the, where, where's your location? Um, so I'm still ironing out the, oh, this is, this is what I should explain. You don't have to register with the state to start a church. So the church already started. But I am registering it as a 501D. Oh. And during that process, they might say, because there's 20 different kinds of um, nonprofit business structures out there. And at 
one point they might say, we just can't recognize you as a church um, because it has to be faith-based. And um, Comedy is based on faith. I, th- I think so. Super um, faith-based. I mean, I think for some comedians, like, the, the mic is like service, you know? Sure, absolutely. Like, it's like... It's uh, like therapy. It's like cleansing. It's like service. It's yeah. like yeah. communication. It's cleansing for other people. It's There's all kinds of... There's catharsis for the crowd if they somehow relate to you I mean right so you know um, I'm gonna see if that flies if it does fly I guess the benefit is it's cheaper than an LLC it can have affiliate nonprofits it is more than just like the tax credit and exemptions I really want to be able to collaborate and help other comics that I love like um, not just that I love because I love a lot of people like I'm pretty free love and check like I just um, uh, what comedy and all these different communities that I've visited have done for me, super healing, you know, sure. um, just because I've found other people that were depressed as hell or, right, right. or, um, we saw humor and funny things that were tragic. And so, um, one of the premises, even though it's business, like a business entity and, and those types of things, um, what kind of prompted it? to actually go into application mode was I had secured a venue in Merced for like 80 to 130 people. And I'm going to do a suicide prevention fundraiser in September. Great. And so. Merced. Are you from Merced? No. Okay. I didn't think so. No, but. Um, like that's uh, far away. That's right by Modesto. No, a friend. I had actually wanted to do it at like last year. Mm. Um, like when I was four months in because my dad had committed suicide. Oh, I'm sorry about that. Yeah. It's okay. I think he was murdered, but by himself. <laughs> oh, yeah, no, by, by someone himself. Else. No, I don't yeah. know. Okay. <laughs> but all jokes aside, uh, all jokes aside, I wanted to do something meaningful to me, you know, yeah. um, for for that cause and for other people. And I just think that, um, you know, when I've met other comics and been able to vibe out with people, um, you know, a lot of people are depressed i mean think about how many people oh i'm depressed yeah I, oh yeah this is what depression looks like for me i'm always smiling yeah it's this terrible. Is, yeah exactly this is <laughs> well but they, no one knows what you are no one knows I'm what like, the inside eh, looks no, like um, you know always smiling no i actually fare really well i mean it is shocking the only thing is the the holidays were hard for me mm-hmm. so i did party a lot um but my first like five months in comedy were really sober-ish, like the occasional toke, whatever. I'm all ish. Um, and so to be able to overcome like feeling like panic attacks and yeah. social anxiety and really do it by kind of like this, I don't know, there's some kind of reverse um, therapy that happens. Yeah, absolutely. You confront your fears. And then it also PTSD, you have problems with perspective and like with emotional flashbacks and things sure and i don't get those as often like i mean well i never had them very often but there were certain things that were huge and so very triggering you had lots of triggering events and now you've and it hasn't been that long and you've already sort of worked through a lot of them oh well it's been it's been a couple years, but oh, it was that bad. Oh, okay. I, I mean, I've only done comedy for eight months. Right, but well, I was thinking about the dad stuff. Yeah, it wasn't. That's a whole other trauma. Yeah, but, right. Right? <laughs> so many traumas. So many traumas. Which traumas will I address tonight on stage? But th- that's the thing. I mean, uh, a lot of my therapists had vicarious trauma, and I would joke yeah. around about it before I did comedy. 
because that's actually a term that a lot of psychologists and therapists have or, or use because, you know, they empathize with what they're hearing and they are vicariously traumatized. Right. You know? One of my buddies, this is a total non sequitur, but one of my buddies years ago, he was a psychologist uh, for the Air Force and he treated uh, pilots, helicopter pilots that were coming back from Iraq and they were saying and he got PTSD from hearing their stories because they were telling stories about going down a city street and just mowing down people just shooting people and seeing them explode in front of them right and he was hearing those stories from those helicopter pilots and then he got PTSD right from just listening so it's like if you can get PTSD once removed just from hearing those stories over and over and over, like just imagine how hard it is for the people who actually went through, through that. Like, Especially what? if they present really well. You don't know what's going on all the time. You yeah. know, just like my dad, like whatever he was going through, you wouldn't have been able to tell. Sure. But what I will say is that, you know, you can have PTSD from a car accident and then you can also be gang raped as well. And then how do you equate that sure. as a human being? Because I feel like they are equal. And I had a hard time the first couple years really struggling with that. Like, it's not equal. <laughs> right. It's, you know. My trauma is bigger than your trauma. Yeah. But it's. Um, trauma it, is trauma. Yeah. But it's a really beautiful thing to acknowledge someone else's humanity because, um, I think the effects, recognizing that you're not alone and then being able to connect with people, whether whatever level of, of healing they are, what, whatever had caused them this, this um, trauma, you know, I think that's what's important. It's, I feel it's just another word, vicarious trauma is just another word for empathy. Sure. Like really strong empathy, you know, when something powerful hits you. And I think... Uh, it's nothing to shy away from and it shouldn't have stigma and I think people should be able to talk about difficult subjects and then you know I think in general our culture would be happier I think. Uh, absolutely no, I mean confronting things in an honest way is the best way to do I mean it hurts it can be difficult at the time but then I feel like it takes the it takes the air out of it you know like if it's it's almost like trauma is a balloon and that balloon is still there. But if it's filled with all this stuff and you keep filling it and filling it and filling it, it gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. But if you, you know, use that air to let to let out that, that communication, then it can shrink. Cause it, it's the same, it's the same trauma. It's just how much is, is it is it huge and filled up or is it, you know, tiny and wrinkled? And when can you finally throw that balloon away and be like, or can you? Or does that balloon stay with you? Maybe, maybe the balloon just stays deflated. Maybe it's about deflating the balloon. I mean, what if it's not the size of a balloon, but something huge and heavy? Uh, yeah, right? sure. I mean, before I started comedy, what happened was my dad had passed and then a friend of 30 years had died oh. right before the beginning of the summer. And I was like, that's it. I'm not working two jobs. I'm going out on the road and I'm going to act like I'm going to kill myself every Friday <laughs> and it was great because I didn't and wonderful things had happened yeah. um, every week and um, I, like I said really chased my happiness but I feel like 
Um, where was I going with this? <laughs> that it's a heavy, it doesn't oh, have to be it's a, a heavy, light. heavy load. Be. So I realized just with like that old relationship bullshit, uh, if you can call it a relationship, I, I was dragging all this trauma around and it was contaminating future opportunities. Sure. Even if I was holding it in really tightly, it was just leaking out and contaminating, you know, opportunities. So I had this visualization that I would put that baggage into a room and I would go visit it like whenever I needed to but like every morning when I walked out the door or the car door or whatever I would try to be the person that I wanted to be you let the but you got a storage unit for your emotional yeah. baggage that's yeah. great yeah. so you put this stuff in the emotional storage locker and you got the key and you can visit it anytime you want anytime but it doesn't have to you don't have to it's hard to travel with all that stuff. And if you go to an open mic and you put down all of your stuff and you're like, <laughs> you sort of explode into the room and you're like, all right, here I am. But then it's, yeah, I understand that. If you can lock it away yeah, and visit it, not lock it away and not think about it. Not like not like the alcohol locking away with like, I'm drinking this, I'm not thinking about it. I'm drinking, drinking, drinking. I'm locking away these feelings. But that those feelings are there. They're valid. I'm not going to visit them now. Yeah. Because right now is not a healthy time to visit them because right. I'm doing other things. I'm going to visit them later and deal with that stuff and sort through it. And maybe I don't need this. Maybe someday I won't need the storage unit. Maybe I can go through it. Maybe I can have a garage sale. I can have an estate sale. I can sell things. Right. Just trade it off. For trade it off. <laughs> Give it away. Trade it off. Get rid of it. For new baggage. For new baggage. Yeah. Absolutely. That's what life's about. And the thing is, is I love m making people laugh about things that they shouldn't. Maybe, sure. you know, that they don't expect or I don't expect them to laugh about. Um. And I think those kinds of things are important because when I was really going through a lot of trauma, I still had my sense of humor. So the the belief in my whole heart is that comedy is a, a great coping and healing mechanism. Sure. And um, I think that there's been comics doing comedy for a long time that, um, maybe not for a long time, but some of them just don't realize how important they are. You know, even on a subconscious level, when no one's a, no one's paying attention at the open mic, but they're out there, they're they're speaking truth into existence, and they're trying to make people laugh. The jokes in their head coming out—that's a beautiful thing. And um, so, I really think being able to do it on stage and then affect strangers is yeah. just amazing. We're, we're uh, how is? Uh, tell us, walk us through one of your new church services. Oh, well, some things are still, some things are still in process, yeah. but the whole idea is the hope that the actual location will be kind of like Universal Life Church, mm. where it's a website. That service is actually a podcast that oh. I can actually have com have people have conversations with each other, post videos, talk philosophy, talk shop, like. Um, and really, on one hand, it's like a nonprofit public relations tool, but on the other hand, if anyone really has met me and know vibes with me, then they know how much, um, how important the people that I work with and work around are. Mm -hmm. Even if I've, I'm really, they're just new relationships and business relationships. And, um, yeah, I mean, it's tough out there. It's, it's good to like shine, shine a light and say, hey, you know, uh, we're all trying to build each other up. 
Do you mean, what do you think you about say, that? When you say Tim? that, are you do you mean in a comedy way or do you saying in like a hum- humanitarian way? Humanitarian. Okay, way. yeah, because comics are all soulless monsters. <laughs> so that I'm like, I'm like, you want to build what with who? Like, yeah, like soulless monsters Let's who have it. no, they don't, they don't appreciate. You know what? Even soulless monsters, they probably have been victimized themselves at some time. At that's, some point. that's true too. And people forget men get raped, men get attacked. You know. Yeah, I know we do forget that. Um, I forget that all the time. Um, so, so, but in the same, uh, it's really important that you know we exercise tolerance and just try to um, celebrate each other at, uh, for for being in the in the laughing industry. I think it's great. That's nice. I don't think comedians are very supportive. I think you're amazingly supportive, and I'm excited uh-huh. about your church. Thank you. But Merced. Oh so no, that's far. just that's just a um, that is a wonderful venue um, for a fundraiser in oh, September. Oh right, for the f- fundraiser for for suicide awareness. The actual it's church. It's the only suicide's the only death that's 100 percent preventable. You feel that? Yes, yeah, suicide's the only death that's. 100%. Never heard that. Yeah, it's the only it's the only death that you can prevent. If someone's gonna die because oh. of a car accident, it's gonna happen. If they're that's gonna die out of a plane, that's fine. Like disease, but the only. The only death that you can stop is someone who's going to kill themselves. Oh, that makes and me feel horrible. Well, well but, it's, but that's <laughs> the thing, too, is, and I think a lot of people carry around guilt yeah. that they didn't do enough, enough or that they yeah. didn't talk to a person or they didn't say something on that day or what. And it's like, I mean, it's, I feel like we need to put resources into maybe Action. helping people be, I don't know, maybe it's just that our society it just doesn't feel like there is a lot of support and a lot of love in the world right now. And so people have a difficult time connecting and it's very easy to feel alone because especially with the advent of all of our devices and that we think we're getting closer, but we're really just getting farther away. And when you, I can't look at Instagram because it's just an idealized personification of everyone's life. (laughs) And so it makes me feel like a pile of dog shit often. And then I get more depressed by trying to feel more connected. So, like, in my search for connection, I feel more disconnected because of the media that we're connecting on now. Right. I think with comedy, even though uh, they're soulless bastards, is that what you said? Soulless um, monsters. Monsters. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, selfish, I say, too. Selfish, soul, soulless Yeah, monsters, I, yeah. I've, I felt like fellowship just as a human being huh. um, and was shocked. I mean, I feel like people can't surprise you unless you allow a space for them to surprise you sometimes. Huh. And then you get to hear their stories because you're such, you know, in, in my case, I'm just like, blah, 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 very open, right? Mm. Uh, and so I get to hear stories and I'm just like, wow, you know, if people knew this about you, you know, and just like really kind um, people that, you know, you're I mean, so positive. I'm very happy in my life. I, I yeah. was very, like, like, very, very depressed at the beginning of the summer. Um, but, I mean, I would say two months in, I was done. I was fine. Like, I had recovered. So when I say my life in recovery, I mean, like, you know, I'm not 100%. I I still know that I have emotional flashbacks. I'll have certain things happen that I know are part of this, um, what, a PTSD or whatever. But it was uh, invaluable for me to just really push myself. And I think that's what comedy is you get up there and to be able to share yourself and push that envelope um just from translating 
thoughts in, into speech yeah. and then just wait to see if they're going to. Like in my case, I was like, Jen, what's the worst they can do? Walk out on you, heckle you. You've been through worse. And when you put it, when you're dealing with your trying to recover from trauma in that way, it was helpful for me. I was like, every time I got off the mic, um, was just like, this is great. This is a great thing. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I have a, my only trouble is I feel like I'm only good as my last performance. And so if That's I haven't had saying. a good performance in a while, I'm like, <laughs> what am I doing with my life kind of thing? Oh, well, I think, I don't know. I'm just, I've been lucky. I have a couple shows coming up, one in Concord and one in, in Santa Cruz. Um, but, like, for the most part, I was just doing it to meet the people and to share myself. And um, I was very lucky to fall into really great uh, supportive spaces, really. And um, Where are the supportive spaces you go to? Because I don't <laughs> know where they are. Reno, Santa Cruz, um uh, San Jose. Um, San Jose where? Like the improv? Oh, no. I haven't done the caravan? improv. Caravan? Oh, I, you know, I've done the caravan a couple never times. T- I've never gone down to San Diego to do time. Or I've done the Reno improv, and that's been fun. Um, yeah, so I've done, like, a show in Hollister. I just jumped on a set, um, a showcase in San Mateo, um, Delirium. But for a couple months, I actually, like just went to like the toughest rooms or the the rooms that I thought were most difficult Mm. and it was about like trying to whatever fear was inside of me tear it apart gotcha and get it out of here good so yeah uh awesome what do you do you have any do you have anything more to add about the about your new church well I well if people um well how do I say this I just want to be inclusive and support people's dreams and I think that um, if you believe that everything is funny and simultaneously nothing is funny at all <laughs> um, and you can exercise some politeness, just a small amount of, of uh, politeness and some amount of tolerance, then I'm sure every you know I, that's a great collaborative space because that's like my, my adopted family. Sure. That's, that's what I want to, to kind of create just, even if it's just a few people that are talking about, like my friend Tess, like um, she is like a political activist and writer, and and so there's going to be a lot of different types of content Great. and um, just different ways to support each other and kind of build kind of a community within a community that already exists. Because all of this, all this feeling that I've had, I know that it's there. I don't need to create a church. Uh, to validate it but I know that other people are experiencing this wonderful thing on the mic too and they're driven by it and they're hitting these mics all the time and it's great yeah it's, it's so funny once yeah, you're no. well <laughs> once you're in it once you're in it for as I mean once you're in it for as many years as I have it starts to you it you start to wonder what what actually you're getting out of it or what's happening I mean I'm, I'm almost nine years in to comedy yeah so and th- I mean, that's I, that's that's sad actually. No, well, I no, it is so. because it's like what has been truly created in these nine. This is the longest I've ever done anything. I've done graduate school for you know four years was kind of long. I never have held a job more than like four years. 
um, this is it's the longest thing I've ever sort of committed to just straight time wise and then you start to evaluate like what are the benefits like am I am I emotionally secure do I feel like that's sort of but you know I don't know I don't know I don't know what to do with it I don't know if it is I and it's you, you just start to wonder like what's the end game well, I think happiness should be a goal, right? Sure. And it's not always going to be achievable, n- not at all. Right. But I think um, if you find joy in it, and I mean, I remember when I first attempted comedy like seven years ago, someone was like, and I had stopped, um, someone had said, well, it doesn't matter if you're funny or not. It just matters on if you're on the mic or not. What? I know he was an asshole. The point is, is that <laughs> that had me fucked up for like a minute. Because yeah, I'm like, because I was like, I'm ho- like, <laughs> I mean, I'm. I feel was like it like a backhanded compliment. Like, doesn't matter f- that you're not funny. <laughs> like, like, what are you saying? No, he was saying like I was like the funniest girl he knew, but that it didn't matter unless I was up on the mic. And so, whether it was encouragement or a backhanded uh, compliment or whatever. It was really bothered me because I wasn't going to get up there at the time. So, and then for a moment this summer, I was doing 26 mics a month. I was like going crazy, getting my fix, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I will say that I thought for a second, I kind of understand there's so much difference in being up on stage and not. But it doesn't mean it's less important. If you're a funny person and you are making your family laugh or your coworkers laugh, Oh my goodness, my uh, work wife Tanisha. Oh Lord, she is. She and I survived a really toxic work environment, um, but we were laughing the whole way. Yeah. And I think that's how you get through the hard times, sure. you know. Yeah, laughter, as they say, it's the best medicine. I don't think it's going to cure the coronavirus. And now Shit. that everybody keeps <laughs> canceling their shows, I was like, I was booked on Fuster Cluck this Friday. Come on, man, you're canceling it. What are you doing? Come on. I'm not canceling anything at Mutiny Radio. I'm doing everything. I don't care. I, I don't believe it. in Corona. I, I I don't I think everyone's freaking out for no reason. Freaking out. If you're not old and you don't have AIDS, you're going to be fine. If you're not a baby and you're not some old person with fucking diabetes and, you know, cra- some crazy immunosuppressive disease, it's just another flu, everybody. I mean, it's going to suck, but Really? Give me a break. There was some really gnarly videos coming out of Wuhan, and there was just a woman screaming, and they were telling. I wanted to post it, but I was like, oh, gosh, this lady's really upset. I don't know what. So, but but it was really moving because she's like, our government is allowing this to happen. Oh. Uh, They're not taking the precautions that they're able to, and they're letting our elders die. And she was so distraught. Yeah, but and she's like, I know what's going to happen because I came out of, um, because I'm speaking out against my government. Yeah, she's going to get be put in jail. Yeah, and she's, she's going to disappear or whatever. She's disappear. Um, and it sucks when old people die. But like, there's so many people. I'm, I'm so heartless right now. I'm it's so okay. heartless. I'm just like, there's billions of people on the planet. Mother Earth is figuring out a way to kill some of them. Oh, that's what's going on. I know. I don't know if I'm going to make it either. I'm really excited because <laughs> I just, if I survive it, I'll be really proud of myself. It's not a personal accomplishment. It's just, I've just, 
touched my face like 15 times since I've been here. I'm like, touch, touch. I, I'm not um, I a bite germaphobe. I bite my nails. I ride the bus and bite my nails. If anybody is going to get corona, it's going to be me. I've got my fingers in my mouth all the time. Like a little, I'm not just touching my face. I'm like fingers in my mouth. I'm, you know, I'm, who knows what's on the 22 bus? Is there feces on the 22 bus? I don't Always. know. Probably. Like, Always hello. I'm just going to like wipe my hand in some urine because it's sterile. Oh and I'll like God. run it through my hair. No, we're all going to be. We're, I think that things are going to be fine. And if they're not, I've been waiting for the coming apocalypse for years. I've I'm super stoked on it. <laughs> oh, I want the apocalypse to come now. Finally, all my skills will come to fruition. Like, I can cook outdoors. I can murder animals and eat them, prepare them. I can run fast. Like, there's all kinds of things I can do in the apocalypse. You I don't know how to shoot fast. guns, though. I can. I can run fast. I can still skateboard. I think that once the apocalypse happens, I'll start skateboarding again because I won't be worried about losing teeth. Be like, whatever. Right. No dentists left. Let's fucking skateboard. Yeah. Yeah. This has been crazy. you have any other uh, last words for the people about any of your amazing things? Um, it's like a, a just keep an eye out, and I'll definitely be sending invites and spread the word that like there's going to be cool collaborations, and we're just going to celebrate kindness and awesomeness and Above all, above all, comedy. Yeah. Yeah. If, well, you know, and if you wanted to use this space, we have Sundays four to six open. Oh, I know. I I messaged you about like oh. trying to get something lined up. Yeah. So yeah. Did I not get back to you? Oh yeah, you did. Oh, okay. We just haven't I can't really talked about I've it. I've been so busy because of the festival. I'm like, I have no idea what's <laughs> happening in my life. I have no idea what's happening. And then I've got all these people that are like, Hey, what's this coming out? What's that? And I'm like, oh, I'm not even close to getting the videos together. I still have to, like. I don't think people realize that I don't have a team. I work alone. There is nobody but what? me. What? And that's what I'm Beauty talking radio about. Radio is Pam Benjamin. That's it. That's it. There's no. There's. I have. I have an accountant friend who helps me out, and I have my tech guy who lives in Vegas, who's a gem. Thank right. you, Richard Kiss. But other than those two people, there ain't nobody. There are nobody. There's oh. like. And I even try to get people to pay their dues. I mean, I have to, that's the other thing I have to do today is go through and send emails to all the people who haven't paid dues this month. I'm like, it's the 10th. <laughs> I'm waving money right now. Oh, thanks. What I will say is, is that um, ideally I want to sponsor comedians to be able to spread the good word in teams of two or three to do little small traveling loops. Well, that neat. is part of it too. Yeah. So um, there's some aspirations there, you know, because, uh, just we want to take care of each other i that is that is a whole you saying that it's a whole new perspective for me because i've been in it for nine years and (laughs) i don't think anyone's been there to support me you're like i will kill you all when you're like no i want everyone to die because i feel so unsupported (laughs) i'm like fuck everybody where's the but it's nice that you want and i hope i hope that you get a team together and that people support you back because when you run something no nobody they don't even if I fail my worst fear is that it's a complete failure and I'll have to really come face to the face to gritty street knowledge but I already know gritty street knowledge is fine yeah I'm I'm, I'm yeah and I'm also prepared. what is what is what is what is failure like I don't know yeah. what that means I don't I I don't understand failure and I don't understand success because when I feel like I have success in other people's eyes, it's still failure. And sometimes other people will see success for me and I'll see failure in my own eyes. So like that whole concept of 
it's the same thing of like good and bad or right and wrong. The whole dichotomy of failure versus success. I have no concept what that means. Be good to yourself and just be kind to yourself. And I think that you'll be in a good place. You know? Fair enough. Jen Sanchez. Everybody look no. up. Garcia. Garcia. You're Shit. racist. <laughs> I'm such a jerk. Well, no, it's because there's another girl named. No, there's Jen Perez. That's the other oh. Jen. I'm a racist. I'm an accidental racist. You're fucking racist. I knew racist. it was. Sorry. No, it's okay. Jen Garcia. Okay. Cool. I'm sorry. There's a lot of Jens now. There's Jen Perez. There is no Jen Sanchez. I just made that name up. There should be. There should be. I'm going to create a fictional character. Yeah. What's yeah. the, t- tell us the name of the church again. Vicarious Traumas Church of Comedy, or Cock. Oh, that's hilarious. You need cock in your life. You need some cock in your, I, I don't. <laughs> I know, but it's just do. a joke. Oh, we all do. No, I know it's a joke. <laughs> We're it's all great. good off cock. Yeah. Except the Church of Comedy. There we go. That is great. Uh, so everybody check it out. Church of Comedy. Uh, this has been Some Call Me Tim. Uh, we'll be back next week with more talking about God stuff and like all that stuff and probably comedy. It always happens. Uh, thanks for joining me on mutinyradio.fm. I hope that you're listening on our app. If you are listening onto us online and you have an iPhone, go and get our app. If you are online and checking out mutinyradio.fm, please hit that GoFundMe button and give me some money or come by 278 121st Street. Any Friday, we have Pamtastic's Comedy Clubhouse from 8 to 10. It's only 10 bucks. It's a great comedy show, and I need your money <laughs> if you want this place to stay alive. Uh, thanks for being here, Thank Jen. you. Thank Yay. you. <laughs> Thank you so yeah. much. We so vibed out on penis and sex talk. I know. That's so funny. Why is that? <laughs>
few years oh. on this planet. Thank you very much. I, I just I just call it social anxiety. You know, I'm just over. I'm very over analytical of myself. I, I'm, I'm glad that I'm glad that's a good thing. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> you got the steez. So the way that it works on some call me Tim is I have you look deep into the eyes of Sparkle oh, Jesus. Idol. I didn't scratch that on there. That's Some cool jerk came in there and did. That. I was like, "Why would you deface my beautiful Jesus?" But that's cool as fuck. Yeah. I think I think that's cool as fuck. I was seeing that. I was like, "Who had the balls to?" That that's. I used to <laughs> put a little uh, a little roach in between his fingers, so it looked Ooh. like he was that, like I taped <laughs> it on there. But someone took it and smoked it. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's only a matter of time. <laughs> uh, and then no, you look at the eyes of Sparkle Jesus, and I say, "Do you believe in Jesus?" Like as a as a person who once lived. Good question. Uh, however, however you define whatever's happening here, like, do you believe in Jesus? Um, as a person, as an icon, as an idol, no. So he was a guy who walked the earth approximately 2,000 years ago, and he was murdered because he said some cool shit. Yes. All right. But he had a great marketing team. 12, I disagree, 12 losers following him around. They were the shittiest marketing team ever. I mean, we're talking about him right now. I mean, no, he had, the, he had that okay. book series. He has that book series, <laughs> yeah, you're right. He's got that book series. You know, oh, when are they going give, to give him that Netflix special? Yeah, <laughs> seriously, everyone's talking about this Jesus guy. I I, I mean, they, there's history like that around the same time as Jesus. There were just a lot of religious zealots, a lot of people going around and just doing like magic and shit. The first doing ever. Doing magic and shit? Yeah, I, I started to think that they were just doing magic because the, the some of the oldest – um, I mean, this is maybe just coincidence, but some of the oldest, like, drawings of Jesus are depicted of him with a wand. Really? Sort. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. I don't know. It's <gasps> us bobbity boo Yeah. Abracadabra Jesus. Ooh. And he's just like, he's like, Je you know, we, we, like Jeff Dunham, you know. Why is he popular? He's not doing anything cool necessarily, but he's a super good marketing team. Jesus. Ooh. Maybe he was just a magician. You know, Peter, you know, got some some, some shit trending in the year Zero. I think that I think that what was trending <laughs> was food. They were feeding lots of people. Oh. And people didn't, and they're like, "Ooh, food! Let's follow this guy around." Retweet on the bread. <laughs> <laughs> Hashtag bread. Hashtag. <laughs> Let's get this bread. See, shit doesn't change. You know, it's all circular. Let the meat cake. Some say because Jesus disappeared from the. So the, if you read the New Testament or you read that, which is a collection of stories, and they didn't even include them all, but mm. he at thirteen-ish years old, he flips the money changing tables in the temple and he says capitalism is bad <laughs> and he disappears for 20 years and he comes back when he's 33 and he does all his ministry within that year and then they kill him but people say where did he go for those 20 years and some speculate that he actually went to asia he went to other parts of the continent and oh. studied with like uh chinese philosopher like all these these different Mm -hmm. philosophical ideas and and in India and like studied with different people and then came back I don't know someone yeah. might have made that up but then that's cool as shit though I, I hope it's that because also if you look back um, the, in the Chinese like pharmacology book they wrote 4,000 years ago they mentioned cannabis as like an actual medicine and all these different ways huh. to prepare it and put it in I things. bet it was boof though I bet I bet it was not fire no well they I were mean, not they smoking were, gas they, the were, they <laughs> weren't separating the males and females they were I mean, maybe <laughs> they were collecting seeds and doing their thing yeah. but I'm sure that the weed was much different but then so if he went and he visited all these Chinese people and learned about weed and came back right. and cured like all these skin disorders what if he was just putting weed on him 
what if he was just smoking out all these fools? Or like putting it in oils and like anointing <laughs> them, anointing with oils. What the fuck is that CBD. about? CBD. Right? He's the original CBD. CBD. Hell he's yeah. He's THCA. He's I choose CBDs. to believe this. I think all religion you choose to believe it, and I, I, I believe that now. I, I, thank you. I, I very much. That's cool as shit. Do they really not know where he went for 20 years? There's, There's no, no So when you read the Bible, it's he's 13, and then all of a sudden, he's a man, and he comes and he starts. Oh. John the Baptist comes and goes, hey, it's yeah. not me. Everybody was like, John the Baptist, John the Baptist, you're the dude, you're the mm. dude. And he's like, nope, 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 I'm just the prophet. And then John the Baptist um, baptizes Jesus, because then John the Baptist freaks, freaks out. He's like, oh. You're the one, like very, yeah, very yeah. neo, very matrix. This yeah. is it. <laughs> and uh, you know, Jesus was all humble and shit, and he was like, "Yes." And and so he got baptized, and then on, and then the, the bird came down, and, oh, and everybody, Jesus, oh, oh my God. <laughs> and then he started his ministry from there. Jesus did. Yes, and that's wow. after he got tempted in the desert by the devil for forty days, where he like right. didn't eat any food and he was fasting to talk to the Father or whatever. And then the devil came and was like, I'm going to fuck with you. And he's like, nope, I'm Jesus. And, like, <laughs> and that's how we know it. That's how we know he's the God. He's the one. <laughs> that's so crazy. You know, I, I grew up an atheist. I never read the Bible, actually, because it was oh. so dense. And I was like, I never had a reason to. But hearing about Christianity and what the story is from different people with, like, their own colloquial, like, terms and casually is just so fucking – it's so fucking funny to me, man. Like, who yeah. wrote it? Like, right. exactly. Because like, it, 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 it's, like, it's like a huge collection of stories, right? I may not just be making sense anymore. We smoked a joint before, so. Yeah, hell yeah. I don't <laughs> I, there's just a huge collection of stories. Who wrote all this shit, you know? And why is it, why does it resemble, like, these amazing, I, I don't know. No, no, keep going. <laughs> no, why does it resemble other, other, other myths and things that were happening yeah. at that same time? And the, but then, then we have to go back to the whole, like, Joseph Campbell idea of why do we have these continuing archetypical myths that, go through our storylines and so religion right. used to be the thing that maybe religion was entertainment back in the day because right now we keep recycling stories on movie tvs right because we're i don't know in our we have to be entertained maybe religion was the entertainment back then because they didn't right. have netflix i think humans have always <laughs> i think humans have always needed meaning in their life i think that's one of the things that we always need to survive and move forward that's how we gain hope and i think that that by believing in heroes yeah believing in heroes believing in religion is just meaning it it makes stories make it easier to ascribe meaning to our own lives you know and those larger meanings form the zeitgeist of our own cultural knowledge and education i i so i think it's just out of a need of us always needing meaning and i think i i identify as an existentialist Um, (laughs) i think you can just find meaning in any like anything you know that i think that's that's that would be my belief system yeah would be that same meaning well you've also been through some hard shit so i mean people who uh do you gotta be hard to do hard drugs yeah uh if you but if if you went through that stuff were you trying to ascribe meaning and you weren't finding it and so you were like i'm gonna do these crazy drugs because my life has no meaning or was it that you were doing the drugs to seek meaning in some you know, way? No, I, I think – I don't think that I was seeking meaning with it. I think it is interesting, though, that people that do go through hard times, sometimes they get they gain kind of my perspective on it, which is sort of like this is all bullshit. This is like kind of pointless. You have to you have to ascribe your own meaning thing. You have to kind of do it on your own. And some people get very religious, especially in treatment. People got very, very externally motivated by meaning. Right. Um, and so I think I, I, I wanted to mm. – yeah, so I, I would say that – drug abuse exists kind of parallel to that and perhaps not it, it, it doesn't really um 
but yeah, I was always very independent, and so obviously I didn't do what anybody told me, and people were like, don't do drugs, and I was like, fuck you. So, uh, so <laughs> were, you, <laughs> were you diagnosed as a child with op- o- ODD, obsessional defiance disorder? No, I don't think I was. You were? Okay. I, th- I mean, one that's one of the f- labels they like to slap on kids that have a personality when they're young. I, I, I know, right? I, I honestly, as someone, I was like textbook one of the like the class clown, kind of the bad kid. I got expelled from like two schools. Yeah, they didn't. I'm surprised that nobody was like oppositional defiance disorder. I never got any of those like quant like those I, I diagnoses. Like I never got ADHD either. Yeah. And like now I went and got one when I was like 17 or 18. Because but Adam of course Ra- I is awesome. That. Yeah. Also, I wish I had. It's hard to tell my. It's hard to tell my psychologist now that I need Adderall without telling them that I used to abuse it. Because, right. like, I know it works, but I, it works. Like, I, I'd love to use it responsibly again, please. That's an amazing perspective, though, to have at 19 to be using things responsibly. I mean, I'm 45, and I'm just learning hmm. how to – I'm, I'm on 30 today's – 32 days without alcohol, and it's the oh. longest I've ever gone since I was your age. Congratulations. Thank you. That's a, do you get, are you an AA? Do you get a chip? Fuck no. No, yeah, it's too. We do have an AA meeting here, though, at Mutiny Radio. Oh, that's good. Um, I don't I don't partake myself because I also, I'm like, I'm not going to get into something where like, I'm powerless. I have to yeah. submit to a higher power. Yeah. You know what? I'm already submitting to a higher power right now. It's called gravity, and it's holding yeah. me to goddamn grip, <laughs> and I don't understand it that's at all. An electromagnet. That's the true. Magnets? How the fuck do they work? How the fuck do magnets? ICP, man. ICP, <laughs> but electromagnetic how, stuff, like, I don't know how that works. That's clearly a higher power. Yeah, how does beauty work? Why does, what makes something pretty? Well, you know? aesthetically, because you have, your eyes are wide set, so that's a very pretty. But why? What defines that reaction? Is when you see something that's so beautiful, like a beautiful landscape or you, like a sunset, what is that reaction? I think, to me, that's God. That's the closest you are to God is when you're seeing, like, that fourth, that but that's you recognizing something. something. That's not – I mean – It's a feeling. It's a feeling. Looking at, like, an amazing painting and just getting lost in it, in this beauty, in this – it's just, like it, – it, I don't know. It's, a, it's something else. It's divine, I think. But w- and if it, now, now there's you're talking about two different things because if it's mm. a sunset, it's nature and it's something. But if it's a painting, then it's man-made and created, and then there's a different re- there's a different relationship happening there. I don't think there is. I think that beauty is, as a divine thing exists in all things in oh, a way, and and, and and I guess it's being able to present that. Because I, I think the beauty is the same in a painting of a sunset and a sunset. I think the humans have been able to recreate the beauty, and sometimes the beauty. Beauty exists in not only a sunset and not only a painting, like architecture too. And okay. beauty exists in all these things in different ways, but it all exists as beauty. And now way. you're making me think of American Beauty when the p- trash bag is oh, floating yeah. around. It and is. He's that's like, beautiful. I've never seen anything more beautiful. <laughs> okay, that's a little. That's a little too much. Honestly, <laughs> have you seen Blade Runner where he's like, and I disappear like tears in the rain. <laughs> it's mm. a little. That's a little <laughs> so that's I would. I would label that sentimental and that it mm-hmm. asks for an emotion that it doesn't pay off on. You know, like yeah. at the end of a poem when you're like, Ugh, or in a card, and you're like, Ugh. Well, you're it, asking, a- yeah. it asks for an emotion that it doesn't pay off on. And that's like sentimentality. Yeah, I'm going to have to write that down. Because <laughs> that's, that's that, that makes, a l- yeah, I think that's exactly how I feel about it too. I didn't think about that. Yeah, it's like when you, and you when something's like, but sometimes when things are super icky and gushy and over the top that way, then I can appreciate that too. Like, like Japanese girls wearing cute outfits, <laughs> like with yeah. an angelic pretty. But that's Yay! a message in and of itself. Like yeah, that's, yeah. And I, that's when you're when you're like overly sentimental. That's cute too. Yeah. Or I don't know. There's a statement about that. I think there's something to be said about bland sentimentality. Like, yeah, old poetry and some yeah. some a lot of poetry is very. <laughs> Ask for an emotion that you don't you don't work for. Yeah. 
Because yeah. you have to, pe- people have to come to you anyways. Right. And, and all good art. That also works for gross ants when they want to kiss you on the cheek and you're like, you're like oh, mm. you want something for me that I don't mm. understand. Yeah. Give you. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what I'm supposed to do in this situation. <laughs> Actually, I, I love all my aunts. I want to say that because I know they might find this. Uh, hi, Aunt Eileen. Hi, Aunt Liz. Hi, Aunt Fluffy. And all else. Is that is that a cat, Aunt Fluffy? Aunt Fluffy? No, that's my that's my dad's sister. She has really poofy hair. Oh, she's great. She lives here in Berkeley. Shout out, shout, shout out, out to Fluffy. Berkeley. She's a social worker. She's a great woman. Oh, that's amazing. <laughs> that's yeah. a peop- It's so funny. I was having a conversation about capitalism. Uh, just when you think, I just thought social work, and my brain went, "They don't make any money. Well, how are they living their lives?" Yeah. But when you make a choice now to like. I don't know. I feel like America hates poor people, oh and yeah. yet so many jobs keep people poor. And yeah. it's like, who wants to be a fucking social worker? Like, exactly. Because yeah. you're not going to, or maybe you get, res- what do you get it's, from it? It's determined by that meaning, I think. You know, the meaning of my life is to help others. Uh. And that's why, I mean, I mean, that's why, yeah, just the, the meaning of your life is what makes you, like, you know, choose this certain direction. I guess that's all you need more than the money i guess i mean we're, sure. we're fucking comedians yeah you know? yeah fair i think yeah it's, you're probably very familiar with going with uh, something that's not capitalistic in a yeah, way yeah well i i can't the money is just little pieces of paper that float through my hands i don't no. under i don't yeah I, I get angry these days about like the only thing we have as a human it truly is our ability to create mm. like and so and i like to create a lot of food and I like to create, but uh, women can create babies. Like men can create, well, not just men and all that, but people Mm. can create labor. They can do things and make things. And Mm. it seems that we've moved into a place where things aren't real. Like Bitcoin is not real. Memos being passed around are not real. YouTube is not real. They're all concepts. And they all just sort of live in this cloud of internet. When this, when the electricity goes down, everyone is fucked. Yeah. Because this isn't real. Mm-hmm. Like making French toast is real. Yeah, or it's tangible. It's tangible things. It's like an object. And I feel like humanity <laughs> has gotten away from survival, mm-hmm. where it's everything is tangible goods, because otherwise you're going right. to fucking die. You're going to freeze, right, or right, you have right. to build something, or you have to do something. Right. But now we're in this place where... It's I, all concepts. It's, it's all, all assigned. I, I think I that's... So interesting that you say that because I think that humans. So one thing that we can do is we have like this con- this consciousness of us to be able mm-hmm. to ascribe like meanings and labels onto things, right? And so even being able to make French toast, like that's real, but you're still, it's still absurd that you're existentialist coming out. It, it's still absurd because you're making French toast, quote unquote, but it's still just like bread and eggs, and you're just putting stuff together. It's a creation, um, no different, in a way. It's a, it's a lesser version of the creation of a concept. You know what I mean? The label of French toast is the concept that you ascribe onto putting like eggs with bread and shit like that. And the same thing is for like Bitcoin and these things that are intangible and these tech things that you're still ascribing meaning, but there's no physical aspect to it at all. It is entirely intangible and mental. But and then you have to go back to Plato because he said that thought is real. So it's that whole chair debacle. If you right? think of a chair in your Ooh. head, that chair that you're thinking of is real. It's not that chair right there. It's not the chair you're sitting in, mm-hmm. but there is a chair and that chair exists because thought is real. The, the the putting of the label exists. The label of the chair exists because the thought is real. I think that yeah. that is the only disconnect for me. But you don't have to, like, bu- build an actual chair for the chair to be real. Yeah. But then yeah. – so then if you kind of – Because that's, con- that's a priori context, too. And then if you – so that actually, I feel like, is what gives us everlasting life. 
is that Plato is still alive because I just said his name and I'm thinking about him and his ideas. And so that in my head is real and that's real. Thoughts so he's are real. real. So people can have so that your your afterlife is actually just just like a half life of how long you remember and how you're being. Dude, I'm so fucking glad you got this on tape because I don't have to write any of this down in my Google Docs. I could just listen to it again. Hey, this is fucking awesome, dude. Are you playing like binaural beats in this shit? Because yeah, this is some. A, there's like wow. Weird, there's because this weird is some 4D conversation right here. I didn't even think about. That's so interesting. Because if thought is real <laughs> and you remembering people, then those people are real, so people never die. So, so everlasting like a, yeah. life exists, but not in the stupid way. But it does exist in the way where people are like, oh, there's a fluffy gate and the yeah, stuff yeah, and yeah. the, the pe- pearls. How you imagine the, it to be sure. Sure, because it, because if you're thinking it in your head, then it's real and then you're describing right. meaning to it. <laughs> I'll have to go to a bookstore after this. I know there's a lot in bookstores. Pla- the platonic chair. They that's t- so sick. One of my poetry professors talked about it a lot in graduate school like that was his whole game was like if thought is real and we're constructing thought then we can construct anything and you're a poet so you're a master of the language so fucking be a master of the language and like Mm. you know think of some high concept but you know most construct construct, but most most kids in college just write poems about their dicks so it's fine (laughs) it's just like it's just like comedy (laughs) it's It's just just like just like comedy <laughs> what do you I you know honestly you've you seen the new Pete Davidson special? No, I don't watch famous comedians because I feel like they influence me subconsciously, and yeah. so I don't like to take anything from it. Interesting. Yeah, I don't I don't watch any new comedy specials either. I I, I watch like some YouTube. I, I I watch like stuff that I think that if I do absorb it, it'll, it'll be for the better. You know, like more niche comedy. Like yeah, and also yeah. But one thing that I was weird about is because you brought up just doing poems about dick jokes again. He had this whole thing about people had to like put their phones away and like put them in the bat in bags so that no one could steal his material. And I guess there's a plethora of reasons why someone would want to do that. But the special comes out and like in the trailer, he's like, "Yeah, my dick is weird." <laughs> Who? What was gonna steal that, bro? <laughs> Delating gems drop. Well, they do that now. Um, Madonna did that. My buddies went to her concert here in San Francisco, and. Um, she changed it. It was, and she didn't go on until like eleven thirty. They're like, we live in Walnut Creek. Yeah. Like, what are we doing in this city at eleven yeah. thirty? But they made them put their cell phones in these bags so that you couldn't open them during the concert because. But here's the other I thing mean, about that: it's so dumb when people film concerts. You're never gonna watch it again. You're, it and it's already on YouTube, and you can watch someone else doing it. And when you're watching it on a screen, you're not there live, experiencing the fucking joy and wonderment. Yeah. You're se- you're separating yourself from it. You're saying, totally "I'm agree. spending all this money to be here and be in this place, and yet I'm gonna experience it through a tiny screen." Yeah. It makes no sense. I think I think humans just want to document shit so they feel like they're not losing it because they want to enjoy it more. You know what I mean? Or but because they want to prove to their friends or somehow be cooler because it's not real unless you stick it on social media. That's true. That's that, that, that that's a whole different perspective of what's real. Is it what's real is what people see, and that's not true either. Oh. I think it's so scary. I had to. I I can't run the Instagram for Mutiny Radio. I, I don't. I can't do it because I cannot stare at everyone's it's idealized personifications oh. of self. I am too weak. As a yeah. per- I am I am not strong enough to to see that that's even though I know it's not real. I know it's yeah. not real. I know it's filters, but I just I can't see everyone having such a great time and their life is so great and they're on so many shows and it's so amazing. Yeah. It's just like my I just I, I shrink, 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 shrink. 
And I don't want to be a person that I don't want to have to feel real on that level and constantly be like, look at me. Here I am. I'm out yeah, here. You want to be real to yourself. Are we right here? No, no. Let's take a picture with Jesus. I'm here with Aaron Atkins, but it's not real. Let's <laughs> put it on Instagram. Let's take a film right now. And we're going to think so it's real. Okay. Like all of that is just. It's, it's too much. It's I just too much. Be, real, be real to yourself. Yeah, you know? fucking authenticity. Like my thing that, that pushed me over the same way, I, I go on Reddit and I go on Twitter now because they're less like I'm looking at other people. I'm just looking at like the news and just some funny photos. What got me off like Instagram and Facebook is all these comics posting their shows of the month, dude. Yeah. The no one finds your shows through that. Like I don't I, – I, it's, it's a flex. All a it flex. is is a flex. It's just a flex. And I, I know all that. these shows. Yeah, I know that and I used to do that mm-hmm. and I know it and yet still I cannot compartmentalize that enough to not just make it – kind of make my day not not make my day where it doesn't affect my day that bad but see them and just be like oh what am i doing yeah. and that's what it's yeah. supposed to do yeah. it, but i don't find it motivating i find it's not it motivating. depressing yeah like when i i avoided being on instagram with the station and people were finally like okay pam i know you gotta get a fucking inch what are you, mm. are you doing I'm like, okay fine and the first two months i got really depressed yeah and i I started going to therapy <laughs> and I attributed it to Instagram and everyone was like, that's crazy. That's weird. I'm like, no, this is like the only thing that's changed in my life mm. is this new media platform that a, I don't understand B I hate mm. and I do. And everyone's moving off of the, I finally understood the algorithms of the Facebook. Oh, it always changes. They update, make sure. update. Uh, why does our life have to be constantly updated? Why can't we just, I mean, I'm using a phone that was a burner phone that I got for like 20 yeah. bucks and I've been using it for three years. That's so the job. And like you always had a laptop anyways and people use Facebook Messenger so you can, if you have something that like um, when I was most comfortable was when I didn't have a phone, I just had a laptop so that I could only respond to texts and shit when I opened my laptop that yeah. one time. It's kind of stressful a little bit but it was better than always staring at my phone. What I do now is I have, a, I have do not disturb. Ooh. So I'm bad about, I'm really bad about texts but I'm never going to fix that because that's, that is how I prevent myself from just being right. Cause if and if I see anything, I just I go right away too. My attention span so slow. And it's changing the the looking. And I'll never get a cell phone. And people are like my even my dad has a cell phone, and he's mm. in his seventies, and I'm never getting one. And people are like, "You're crazy." But I I be Mahatma Gandhi. Be the change you want to see in the world. I don't yeah. like. I don't think that every fucking three year old needs a goddamn computer in their pocket. Yeah. I don't think we're good enough. I think if we're giving. I don't think we should champion mediocrity. And when you give someone all the keys to the fucking castle, without any what, think you give them all a sense of entitlement. Everyone thinks they just deserve a computer in their pocket all the time, and the Wi-Fi yeah. should be super fast. And this. What Everything about talking to people, or what about not watching Netflix on the bus, or what about yeah. human connection? What about human connection? What about human connection. I mean, it's such a, I mean, in a way it is, I lost my train of thought. Wait, wait. Just the separation between us and computer, uh, tiny computers. Po- yeah, I think that, I think that also it, 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 when you take it for granted, you stop using it for the best things that it can be used for as well. Like I'm a very curious person. Mm-hmm. My favorite thing is Wikipedia because I just love clicking through all these things. And what would I do without the internet to do that? You know, but at the same time, I, I take up so much content that I'd never remember my ever again. And like it, it's mm-hmm. it's almost a cliche argument to say that you're wasting your life, but these boomers have a point sometimes, because <laughs> really, how much content do you remember from what you saw on Instagram last time? I know not you. Thank yeah, God, yeah. good for you. Thanks. I, mean, I, I, I aspire to be that, but to everybody at home, how much? What do you remember the last tweet that you liked? Do you remember the last like Reddit post that you saved? 
No. Have you ever tried to bring up a Reddit post to someone else? It doesn't work. It's doesn't. It's not cohesive to human connection. Like Pam, did you right. see that video about the guy? Uh, he like he he was like throwing a he's like throwing a knife right, and then he threw another knife and it went like right through it and it was at a Dave and Buster's. Do I never oh, never see that? Oh, well, I saw it. It was good on it was on Reddit. It was on, it was good. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah, no, hey, the, well the one the one time we got press from that was the fight that was here and we got international news. I saw that. Yeah, is yeah. he is that comic ever been back here? No, um, or not the, 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 the one that punched. The one, the one that, that punched, punched. He wow. apologized to me. Uh, a couple months ago in front of delirium and the one I was that got like, punched the one who punched oh, and punched. i was like you're apologizing to the wrong person yeah like you i'm you owe me 500 bucks for the window that you never gave me but i'm never gonna get that but i was like you're you were apologizing to the wrong person you got to punch. but the, oh. the guy who got punched he also he he's never come back to comedy which is really sad he quit comedy he quit comedy how what why? because PTSD man he fucking got attacked yeah. on stage out of nowhere if that and this oh, this is crazy stuff so this also happened to the other night uh, Sunday night at um, Ireland's 32 there was a comic on stage Max Eddie local comic very funny mm -hmm. uh, goes up with the punchline all the time up and coming uh, redhead just a doll he's um, does a lot of by jokes he's very funny by mm. jokes and he there were these two super drunk Irish guys in the bar and they've been kind of heckling someone else. And so he got up and he starts doing a really shitty on-purpose Irish accent and just – Oh, I, I heard about this. Yelling at him and doing stuff and blah, blah, blah. And he's video. like – and he's, he's up there and he goes, I've never been punched. I've never been punched. And I'm like, why are you calling that to action? <laughs> Call to action button, Matt Eddie, number one. <laughs> so this guy actually gets up out of his seat and rushes the stage and Max just like cowers away, which Jeez. was great, which is what I would do, which is what I would absolutely do. And I support his decision. I'm not going to fight anybody. <laughs> but the two big guy, Nathan Lowe, who's an enormous beast of a man, got up and this other guy, Wolf, who's a regular. And they made sure that these men were everything. escorted out and they were 86 and that was fine. But the point is that people feel entitled, and I've had it, a, seen it a couple times, to rush the stage. Who does that? What are, what's happening to our social yeah. mores that they're just breaking down to such a point? Wait, what but, happened but, to common but, courtesy? Looking at your phone in front of a person is not common courtesy. Oh yeah, yeah, no, it's just it's fully ignoring. It's yeah. fully ignoring. It's just it's totally isolationist. But 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 there's also an extent of like how well the guy that punched the other comic. Yeah. Wasn't just because like they they said his name was Jeff or something. Right. Okay. So that, that's not mental stability though. Right. Like, exactly. He so he misinterpreted the entire goings on. In that, and it was funny because everyone had great sets that day. Mm. My buddy Andy Awansio was in from Seattle. Mm. She's amazing. Uh, there, were, everyone had great sets. I had great. This one guy, this one guy Jeff had was the only one who didn't have a good set. And it was such a hot room, and everybody was staying. And it was four to six in the afternoon. Oh. It was like five thirty in the afternoon. And so, the guy who put it all together was like, "I'm going to do a set." And we're like, "Of course." So he gets up there, and he has a funny name, and it's I've heard his joke a billion times, and. It's like his name is, is Capital, and people ask if that's his real name, but he says, no, it's my realest name. And he has mm. kind of a <laughs> – the lilt to his voice is very urban. Mm. Oh, yeah, I've, I've seen him. Oh, you, was, okay, so yeah. you saw all that. Like last year. Last year. Yeah, so I think that Jeff, being African-American, took some offense to Capital's truth, even though he grew up in San Francisco. That's how he talks all the time. That's his truth. It, it was almost like a reverse racism kind of thing. Mm. And then he just – Capital just picked a name out of the sky because he was like, what, your name's going to be Jeff and you're just going to be okay with that? 
and he wasn't. And there was another guy in the uh, room named Jeff. Yeah, and there he's was the only a, one that had a bad set. But the, yeah, so this other guy, the guy who had a bad set named Jeff, had a bad Dude, set. Stars but there, there was another guy in the room named Jeff. He didn't have take offense to it, but. Capital just picked a name. He could have yeah, said Chad. But it he just happened said, to be the wrong one. He just picked Jeff instead of Chris or Chad yeah. or, or Hayden or like any like super white guy name. Yeah. He just said, oh, your name's going to be Jeff and you're okay with that? And then the guy starts talking to his girlfriend like, does he know who I am? Does he know who I am? And then he asks him at one point, he's like, do you know who I am? And Capital goes, yeah, shut the fuck up. And he didn't say shut the fuck up. He goes, yeah, shut the shut up. Not my set. And that's when he left up so somehow damn he you know that that he's not okay for that obviously no. that's that's an instability thing that yes. you're not but but also that's just a crazy misunderstanding too because that just heightened that because i could kind of see i can't see ever tagging one i'm not justifying at all but i can see being like he's just calm. i just he's the only one who had a bad set and this guy's like making fun of a bad set really but why are you attack somebody? It's just a crazy misunderstanding. It's a crazy, oh crazy, my God. crazy misunderstanding. I, I hope I hope Cavill comes back to comedy. I hope he does I too. Just... Yeah, he was he was doing he was doing the work writing. Hey, pancake. Hello. Have you met Aaron Atkins from Chicago yet? Hello. Hello. I'm Aaron, Aaron Atkins. This is Pancake. <laughs> You're on Hello. mic too. We're in a we're in a very special. Uh, some call me Tim. We just get get philosophical and shit. Your hair's down. I don't know if I've ever seen you. With the, do I always see you with your hair down and I just don't notice it? Uh, Pam, you need to stop smoking so much. <laughs> no, it's all I have left, Pancake. <laughs> I don't get alcohol. All I get is weed. I can't start doing heroin. <laughs> I don't like speed. I'm not going back to that. PCP's out of the question. <laughs> Molly, too strong these days. These kids with their... Those are like Fent. I took some of this New Rock stuff one night at a comedy party, and I... It was so funny, because she gave me this big record. I'm like, how am I supposed to take this? Am I supposed to lick it? Like, what am I supposed to do? So I scratched a little bit off, and I'm like, is this... This is a tiny bit. This won't be too much. And I was like, I used to... I, do I put it in my mouth? This is too small to snort. So I put it in my mouth. I lost, like, four hours of my life. <laughs> I got so fucking high. I was, like, laying on the ground. Everyone's like, is she going to be okay? Like, call the ambulance. I'm like, no, people are like, no, no, no. She's just really, really high. <laughs> I can't do any of the new kid drugs. 2CB, 2CE. I don't know what those things yeah. are. There, but that was the desired effect. You just didn't know how to. Uh, no, it was too much. You were enjoying it the whole. I guarantee you, you were having a good time. Oh, I'm sure I was having a great time. Yeah. But I. But the bummer is when you do so much that you don't remember. Which is why I'm yeah. kind of excited about quitting alcohol. Is that not forever? But I'm definitely not going to do it around comedy anymore because it's it hard. makes it. Well, it makes open mic. So I used to be like. I'll only drink at open mics. I won't drink at shows. And then when I did my face, I broke that rule. I, dr mm. I was drinking a lot. And then I went to a show and I bombed, which I don't usually do. And it was mm. embarrassing and terrible. And I regret it so much. Mm. And it was because I was drinking. And then I hurt myself. And I regret bombing at the set and being drunk much more than getting the stitches and hurting myself, honestly. The, mm. the set was the worst part of all of this. That's what made me stop drinking yeah. was the bad comedy set. So then I've realized That's that like – I've been doing open mics for nine years, and I've been wicked wasted at most of them. How much How much of my time was actually worthwhile? Like, I love being on stage, and that's, like, my whole juice know, and jazz. But if I'm not remembering what I'm doing, is it fucking worthwhile? Was it True. worth the time? True. And how much time have I been putting in, and is it effective time for what I've been doing? So now, True. you know, I don't know. I don't think I'm going to drink anymore around now. You know, I, I feel the same way, but that same mentality kind of, like, enables me to do, like, 
like like microdose like like a MDMA and shit like that because it's like so I can enjoy this even more. Yeah. Because like, the opposite of forgetting is just having like the most amazing time. Because I think you can't microdose MDMA. You can, and it's great. What I did like three nights ago, I was just watching eyelid movies. I was closing my eyes and just watching shit. It's weird. I'm not thinking at all, and yet I'm watching like an old west town. It's the exact same. I, I old west town like a Ferrari going down the street and shit, just watching it with, it's amazing. See, so that, that same mentality enables me to be like, this is good, but let's make it way better. Right, well, and so, and I like that, except that with alcohol, when I say let's make it way better, I, I get slower. Maybe mm. other drugs will make me not, I've recognized now how fra- fast my brain tags things. And tags things? Like, when my brain thinks of one thing to another, like words in a sentence or mm. not saying um or ah or remembering all of my jokes or everybody's name from the festival, all of those things mm. exist. And my brain just like zoop, 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 zoop. Like I've barely been using lists and I pretty much, everyone who's come through so far, I know their first and last name. That's crazy. He's got a good brain, I guess. He's got a good one. But, <laughs> I, but and I've just been <laughs> retarding it. <laughs> no, retard is a real word. It means to slow down. Retard. Uh, it's also a okay. musical term. To retard. To you retard. You can only say that when you're talking about fire or, um, no, yeah, I that's about that's it. Fire retarding. I'm retar- but I am. I'm retarding my own brain by using alcohol because I'm literally slowing it down. It's a depressant. I'm literally – and I've recognized that the next day I've been waking up like, bing, I'm awake. La, 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 la. My day is fine. La, la, la. And I used to be like – Oh, okay. Yeah. I have to have the coffee. Dream I have state. to have the water before the coffee because I might throw off the water. Okay, here we go. That was cold. That's okay. Yeah. Let's go with the coffee now. We're fine. And then I just and if I'm doing radio, I'm like I can't, I can't do it. Cool. So I'm learning, learning life lessons. The worst part about drugs is how you feel when you're not on them. Yes. I mean, oh. day after. So if you made that, is that a t-shirt? You should make that into a t-shirt. I should make that into. See, I, once again, I'm glad we got everything on tape because I didn't, I didn't rehearse that, but now it's on tape. Yeah. Now I gotta write it down. Also, we had some crazy, mind-blowing talk to me at least because I about fucking platonic chairs <laughs> tied into like we're too obsessed with our phones. You yeah. know, we gotta get those classic. You know, Sub um, Tim is all about like what people believe in or what makes them not kill themselves. I hate to, I hate to like bill it as that, but it's kind of like that. It's like, I want to ask people, why are you alive? Why are you still alive? Like what's working in your binaural beats (laughs) playing and shit. You really get into it. I think it's it's only, it's a lot of the music too. You just, you just zone out a little bit and get into this other space. It's the, uh, it's, it's called rhythm and noise. Rhythm and noise. Yeah. Yeah, there's Wrong. weird, there's weird shit back there. It's for like, like you Alex start talking Coltrane. about Satan. Like, Let's <laughs> talk about hell. Yeah, we talked about heaven. That's the opposite end. So that's the other thing is that if we, if all thought is real, and if the thought that we create is real, and we have a heaven, then all these people we think about terrible things. So why don't we all, why don't we all think about good things all the time? Why are all these bad? Like I had an, I had a moment yesterday. Where I got a little crazy. Because I got a little disrespected on the internet, which isn't real, <laughs> which isn't, by the way, isn't real. And I, I had a little, I had a little tantrum. I had a little, I had a little tantrum. And then uh, a friend pointed out to me that I decided to calm the fuck down, but not in that way. Like it, you know, you don't tell a woman to ever call the, f- call the fuck down, <laughs> but you say maybe we should peer review this, this Facebook <laughs> post before we post it to everybody in response to this action that you're clearly overreacting on but don't have the vision to see that. But then why, like, what are those, 
Like there's all those good feelings, but then what about like frustration and anxiety and sadness and depression and I mean, are they valid too? <laughs> yeah, everything's valid. We know. have uh, bad thoughts because not everything in our lives goes good. So if we prepare or think, um, pretend things are going to go bad, then it's not as terrible. Because we set up the expectations of it being bad. Yeah. And so that, but then some people say expectations at all are bad, that mm-hmm. we should never have any expectations. I think however you react to your environment is perfectly natural because you're, <laughs> you're perfectly natural. You know? We weren't raised in the right culture. Um, people in other countries have way less stress, um, and that's just the way they were brought up. And they can Outside be in capitalism. the modern world today and be perfectly functioning, but people who were raised in stress, um, and it's just bombarded by all the all the uh, the pressures of life in modern times is too much yeah I, th- too much. I, I think yeah Back growing up in capitalism and just being raised with like ambitions and shit and that trying to get somewhere else from where you are is the biggest difference i see between people that are happier in like rural environments and, and, and or i guess 